Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our first Pensions Lawcast after the summer break. We've had a, a good summer in the circumstances, and we're, we're looking today straight away, big topic, the TPR single code to get us back with a bit of a bang. Uh, as you'll all know, the single code looks at uh, looks at a number of things. We're going to particularly be thinking about the effective system of governance and own risk assessment today, but we'll touch on some other points as well. As I've already said, it's a very big document. So to help us out, we're, we're joined by two experts at the Southall Government Services, who are, as you'll all know, a leading governance and independent trustee organisation, and they're appointed to over 240 schemes. So they're really in the thick of this stuff that, that's coming out from the regulator at the moment. From PSGS, we've got Simon Lewis. Simon's a client director with over 22 years of pension experience uh, as an in-house pensions manager, scheme trustee, scheme secretary, and also as a governance project specialist. And we're also joined by Louise Webb. She's also a client director. Uh, before becoming an independent trustee, she spent 20 years as a lawyer and worked with trustee boards and sponsors on a range of projects, which included sponsor M&A, de-risking, funding, and governance projects as well. So we're in really good, safe hands with our experts at PSGS. But to add to that, we've got our own Hadassah Shulman, who's with us. She is, amongst many other things, including being a pensions lawyer, a member of the Pension Regulators Subcommittee on Diversity and Inclusion. So again, a really good voice to have with us today to help us out. I'm going to quickly introduce the single code a bit more, then I'm going to hand over to Hadassah just to let us know what's new in that code, what the sort of new things we're going to be looking at, and then we'll get we'll, we'll get the discussion going and, and get some really good insights from, from Louise and from Simon. So what's in that this single code? Um, as you'll all recall, TPR issued this consultation on a new single code of practice, uh, which incorporates material from 10 of the existing codes, uh, but really left alone things like DB funding, moral hazard and master trust. They're going to come out in separate codes. So it's really everything except those three things. And it also covers a number of new areas, which Adas is going to let us know about in a moment. The purpose of the code is really to cover the new requirement that's in the new that come in with the new Pension Schemes Act. That's in Section 249 of the, the 04 Act brought in by the new Pension Schemes Act uh, for all occupational pension schemes with 100 members or more. And that requirement is that they must have this effective scheme of governance, the ESOG, as people have been calling it. Uh, the single code sets out what the regulator will expect to see from trustees, uh, what it wants to see them do to determine they've really complied with that legislation. And in particular, that they've got this effective scheme of governance and it's live and it's in place and it's working. I mean, more broadly, I suppose, the regulators are looking at making trustee boards more professional um, in terms of how they operate, who the personnel are, the risk assessments they use and their decision making. That's 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 the background to all of this. And the big question, I suppose, we'll be tackling here really is, does the code do that? Is the code going to help achieve achieve what the regulator wants? So let's hand straight over to Hadassah, who's going to tell us what's new in the code. There's 150 pages, so I think she's going to do her best. But um, yes, if we can pick out what's new, Hadassah, I think that'd be really helpful for everyone. Brilliant. Thanks, Jay. Whilst most of the underlying principles are not new, there are a number of areas which will be covered in a code of practice for the first time, including the need to have a remuneration policy covering how service providers are remunerated and how many conflicts dealt with. The need to carry out an own risk assessment to determine how well governance systems are working and the way potential risks are managed. The first one must be completed within 12 months of the code coming into force and then repeated at least once every year and reviewed whenever there's a material change. The ORA should be proportionate to the size, nature and complexity of the scheme. The code also includes details of governance systems and internal controls needed to provide trustees with oversight of day to day operations including any delegated activities, communications, administration, custody of assets, amongst many other things. 
The purpose of this is to enable the trustees to be comfortable that the scheme is operating correctly and in accordance with the law. The required implementation report will also be covered. There's also a list of specific actions the regulator expects trustees to take in relation to stewardship, particularly around ESG matters. A new section on climate change, noting that the risks and opportunities associated with climate change should be part of the scheme's risk assessment. The draft code doesn't actually expressly mention the statutory guidance for larger schemes, which will be subject to the new climate risk regulations, but that might come. There's also guidance on maintenance of IT systems and cyber controls, a section on audit requirements suggesting trustees may wish to consider publishing the accounts on a website. So all in all, quite a lot for trustees to be doing. Thanks very much, Vanessa. Um, that's a, a really helpful skip through what, what's new there. Um, what I wanted to do now was bring in Louise and Simon from PSGS and really get some insight on how the single code is being received uh, by independent trustees uh, and by governance professionals more generally. And what did it mean for, for the pension schemes that you're looking after and, and their members? Um, Louise, can I start with you and, and ask whether PSGS responded to the consultation when, when, when it first came out? Sure, thanks, Jay. Um, well, to give some context here, PSGS is quite unique, I think. Um, our team's split roughly 50-50 between independent trustees and full-time scheme governance professionals and they support our trustees as well as looking after their own portfolio of schemes and because good governance is very much at the heart of what we do we were really interested in the consultation um, and we went out to all of our schemes and, and we polled our own team to gather feedback um, and as part of that process we ran a survey just to see what the greatest governance concerns are for our schemes. And although end game journey planning was a strategic imperative across the board, on the governance side, there was an array of concerns. Um, and when we looked at those, we saw that costs, corporate activity and advisor services all featured as a governance concern, but they represented less than 5% of the votes each. Next came cyber risk, GMP equalisation and member engagement, which each represented around 10% of the total. And then scams and data cleansing both came in at around 25%, but the greatest concern was regulatory burden, coming in at a pretty significant 34% of the votes. And, and to us, I give that as context because it showed that although the consultation is timely and its rationale understood, regulatory burden clearly is um, of significant concern to schemes and um, the proposed changes will obviously have an impact. And in fact, the results of um, Willis Towd's Watson's 2021 governance survey supported our findings as well. They found in their survey that almost three quarters, so I think it was 73% of trustees thought that the role had become significantly more risky and with two thirds finding it hard to find an MNT and increasing value is then being placed on the impact of independent professional trustees. Um, so, so that's a bit of the context, I guess, that we were looking at the consultation in. Um, and we did respond to the, the consultation before it closed at the end of May. And obviously we're waiting for, for feedback and the response. Um, and as part of the process, we also created a traffic lighted overview of what might be needed by schemes and um, provided direct training to many of our clients. And our document will be available as a link um, following this Lawcast podcast. Um, but our overriding driver in carrying out that research and responding was really to make sure that we prepare our schemes for what's coming and manage expectations. And, and also key to that was that we didn't want to increase costs too much or override 
what we see as existing good governance. Thanks, Louise. No, it, it's interesting that you're saying so. A, a third of your schemes really are the first, the first thought or, or, or thoughts turn to the regulatory burden. That's um, uh, yeah, a, a concern for all of us, I suppose. Were there any other um, sort of comments or feedback you can share that was a bit more, uh, maybe a bit more nuanced, or, 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 or to explore some of the, those uh, stats that you gave us? Sure. I mean, in principle, actually, the response was really positive. Um, people welcome the concept of an online code. A lot of us tried it out. It was really helpful to be able to test it, and it is easy to use. Um, the use of the overarching new governing body term is novel, um, and it will probably take people some time also to work out which parts of the code apply to their schemes, or more importantly, what doesn't apply. Um, and there have been calls, I think, to make this clearer, for example, using colour coding, um, simply because the, the code is, as the name suggests, a single code, which is uh, intended to apply to, to all. Um, bringing in key themes from the last few years, so cyber, scams, climate change, um, ESG, that was all really helpful and I think to be expected. And it's good to see that these areas have been featured. We welcome that. We did receive feedback, and I don't think it was unexpected, from member-nominated trustees. They were particularly concerned about the increasing trustee knowledge and understanding requirements, or TKU requirements, in the code. And their concern was not so much about themselves, but more around whether this would put off um, people in the future acting as a trustee and would create succession planning issues for their schemes. Um, and this again doesn't surprise us because so many schemes now are closed to future uh, to accrual. Um, and in fact, it's a common concern and our comms team has recently published some helpful tips for schemes trying to attract new MNTs and, and we'll share a link to this also on the, the Lawcast page. Uh, but in terms of potential changes or improvements to the code, um, we did think that a prioritised approach could have helped some schemes to identify where to focus resource, um, particularly those that are smaller or maybe don't have a professional trustee on board. Um, for example, non-payment of contributions is likely to have a bigger impact, especially for DC schemes, than say publishing advisor remuneration rate rates. We also thought that um, a risk-based approach might help schemes to um, take on board and adopt the regulators suggested and very welcome proportionate approach to implementation of the code. For example, the proposal is for the new own risk assessment to be an all-encompassing review of a scheme's effective systems of governance, as Hadassah has outlined, and that that will apply to all schemes that have more than 100 members. Um, we thought maybe focusing on schemes that are at an earlier stage of their journey plan or those with poor funding levels or those that maybe haven't complied with deadlines would have been more helpful than linking the requirement purely to member numbers. So some risk considerations could have helped um, trustees here. Um, the time frame for implementation was also something that we thought about significantly as a team. Schemes will need to prepare new policies um, as well as carrying out their first annual own risk assessment within 12 months. And that work does need to be carried out alongside strategic scheme work and GMP exercises, we all know, are, um, are underway across a number of schemes or are, um, will be started. And this will create resource constraints for some schemes. Um, and we received feedback that a 12 monthly review of the aura was was frequent. 
and a lot were in favour of the time frame that tied into the triennial valuation schedule or where reviews could be conducted on a rolling basis but ultimately tied into the triennial valuation schedule. And finally, um, just uh, one other thought was that we saw other responses to the consultation that were encouraging um, guidance to be published at the same time as the single code is implemented, um, just so that trustee boards um, don't deal with piecemeal changes, which obviously would have an impact on resourcing. And obvious uh, for us, any move in this direction would be welcome. Thanks, Louise. I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, so a lot of the as lawyers, when we get queries on this, particularly on the what, what do we need to do about the effective system of governance, it, there's a lot of concerns that come out for us around enforcement about is the regulator going to be proportionate in the way it enforces this as well. And a lot of the points you make around possibly having a, a need to prioritise and to understand which to go to, which points to go to first, I think would really help with that because the clients are obviously perhaps burnt slightly by what happened to some uh, schemes on the chair's statements that were brought in uh, some time ago now and, and the, the enforcement regime on that seems to have driven those to be fairly long compliance-led documents rather than ones that sort of really help uh, members to understand what's going on in their scheme which was the, the very good intention behind that so I guess ideally trustees would have a bit more space to uh, think about what's proportionate for them when when they're putting together this system of governance um, and their own risk assessment. And it's a very good point about moving, possibly moving this out to not be annual, to be triennial would really help them with that, I think, to sort of develop some thinking on it rather than, again, being forced into to something that's a bit more tick box to get it over the line. I wanted to turn to you now, Simon, and just ask, just picking up on, on what Louise was saying there, are there any areas you'd like to see the regulator expand on in the final version of the code? I mean, we've already said it's pretty long, but are there some areas that you think need to be developed or, or, or were perhaps underdeveloped at the consultation stage? Sure, yeah, thanks, Jay. <clears throat> so, you know, as Dasa and Louise have um, put very clearly, there's lots of new areas contained in the single code consultation and as well as refreshing a lot of the existing code, which, you know, generally speaking, is really positive to see. I mean, one area we do think could be expanded upon is that of diversity and inclusion or DNI. Um, we we see this as a really important part of good governance across all parts of the scheme. Um, we see it as a way to provide the best outcomes to members, trustees, and sponsor employers and any other key stakeholders involved in the running of the scheme. But aside from a short reference to access to communications, there is no mention of DNI in the code. It's a topic which we at PSGS feel really really strongly about and we're trying to improve both internally and also as a commercial proposition. Um, I mean the topic has been acknowledged as vital by the regulator in various publications and commentary so we were a little surprised to see it's not more explicitly addressed in the consultation. However saying that we would expect that this will be addressed in their response to the consultation and we we know that the regulator has been very um, visible in industry-wide initiatives on D9 is bringing the whole of uh, the pensions industry together on this so we do expect to see some movement. Yeah we we certainly uh, agree with that and it is good to see all of the other work the regulator has been doing on this issue. Um, they've recently launched their equality, diversity and inclusion strategy which importantly looks both inwardly and externally at what they can do in this area. Um, as Jay mentioned, they've set up this industry working group um, looking at how to promote diversity on trustee boards. And 
Um, I certainly agree that the single code is really an excellent opportunity for the regulator to promote their strategic goals through an existing initiative rather than starting another new one. And like you, I wouldn't be surprised if the final version of the code does include more on this topic. I'm also conscious that the DWP's response on the consultation on the S or social elements of ESG is due out in the autumn, um, which I again expect will include this topic. Um, so timing permitting, I think it'd be really helpful if the single code could include any points from that consultation response as well um, to make this code really as much of a single code as is possible, um, particularly given it already includes other elements of ESG, climate change, those sorts of things. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, Simon, just to, to stay with some of those thoughts, um, I suppose overall, as I said at the start, the sort of the reason for focusing on good governance is really to Im improve member outcomes. Uh, that's what we're all trying to do, what the regulator is trying to do, of course. And, I mean, can I ask, do you, do you think the single code is going to give trustees a better framework to do that? Um, is, it, is, it the right, is it the right starting point for that? Yeah, thanks, Jay. So, yeah, we were really pleased to see a focus on combating pension scams and improved security. Um, this will really help my mem members directly and fits in with our thinking and good practice elsewhere. For example, PSGS has signed up to the regulators pledge to combat pension scams and we're now looking at uh, a gap analysis on our existing schemes and putting some controls in place. Putting these items in the single code and making these member focus will really help raise standards uh, on all schemes and across the industry. Looking elsewhere, uh, I mentioned earlier that there is a reference to accessibility of communications for all members and being more inclusive is a real focus, as we said just a moment ago. We have a dedicated comms team that looks at this to ensure that benefit statements, newsletters, that type of thing, accessible reflect the diversity of the membership that are reading it. Small changes about how you communicate and making um, communications accessible to everyone can make a really big difference to member outcomes, whether it's DB schemes or DC schemes. We also fully support the crystallisation of climate change and ESG monitoring into the code. This ultimately helps everyone and reflects members' appetite to have their money invested with a focus on returns, but done so responsibly. Um, lastly, one area we think the consultation maybe hasn't quite, quite got it right in terms of member outcomes is that uh, area on trustee remuneration advisor costs and having to publish that together with publishing decision making. We don't immediately see how this would improve member outcomes. This will more likely mean a redirection of time and cost for minimal gain. This feels a little bit like the TPR is taking the trust element out of the trustees on this item. We do obviously support the accountability of trustees for achieving good member outcomes, but perhaps a way of approaching this is to emphasise um, well-crafted communications which provide information on how well the trustees have done against their key priorities for the year and how any changes made during the year, the year have been done with the best interests of members at, at, at its heart. Uh, a slight concern is that we'll we'll see some schemes and their sponsoring employers looking at the the burden which we talked about talked about earlier and the cost of additional governance could be an issue it's really important to focus time and resource on items that could genuinely help good member outcomes yeah i i agree with that and i think a lot of this is going to be how trustees respond to the code um 
it's quite easy to see how some trustees could treat it as a tick box exercise. Here we've got all of the pieces of paper that the code says that we need to have rather than using it as a springboard to continue to have conversations about what good governance looks like by reference to a benchmark, which is which is the code. And it will take some time for us to see which of those two becomes predominant amongst trustee boards. Thanks, Adessa. Thanks, Simon. Louise, I wonder, can we turn back to you and just ask, just picking up on the, the end point there from Hadassah and Simon, what do you think will see change at an industry level as a result of the, the single code? Thanks, um, Jay. Well, I think on the tick the box exercise, Hadassah, our experience is that people come to professional organisations like ours um, to make sure governance and internal controls are in place. And, and we think actually that TPR's driver here is to make sure that this sort of standard applies to all schemes. And um, this obviously, I think, is behind the um, suggestion that trustees exercise good judgment and ensure a proportionate approach. So in terms of the response at the practical level, we're really not in favour of the process where schemes have to altogether reinvent the wheel simply to fit into a, a new format. But we do absolutely expect to carry out a gap exercise across all schemes because we want to ensure that they're fully in compliant and we also want to make sure that effective systems of governance are well documented um, in the manner that will be expected under the single code. Um, but beyond the practicalities of the code we think there are some broader changes that will probably be brought about Jay and, and you know for example there is already and this is set to continue I think the ongoing shift towards professional trusteeship. Um, you know, you can see that employer or member nominated trustees are juggling work alongside scheme governance. And as scheme governance increases, this becomes increasingly difficult. Um, and it can create a conflict in terms of capacity, but also conflicts of interest when it comes to strategic sponsor or scheme projects. So um, the shift is, is set to continue, uh, I, I think. Um, and in terms of outsourced governance um, services, we also think that that is likely to um, to, to continue as well. The schemes are already using um, interim resource to manage um, specific exercises like GMP, strategic projects, and the single code could well in increase this need. Um, and the final thing is obviously the the ongoing shift towards sole corporate trustee appointments. Um, we actually took our first uh, sole corporate trustee appointment back, I think, in 1999, so really quite some time ago. And historically, it was often the domain of smaller schemes, um, but increasingly larger schemes are moving in this direction, especially those that are well-funded or well-progressed with their journey planning. Um, and LCP's recent research, I think, showed that of the UK schemes that currently have a professional trustee, around a third now are under a professional corporate sole trustee arrangement. So really quite a significant proportion. And, and our expectation is that as people take stock and look at the skills and resource that they require as they build out their um, journey plan and their end game objective that, you know, the single code will also look at how they want to manage, uh, cause people to look to how they want to manage their schemes going forwards, which might well prompt a further move to sole corporate trusteeship. Thanks, Louise. No, some interesting thoughts on where we're, we're, what this is going to do and where we're going to be 
um, going forward. And, and I think what's come through from the discussion today from everyone is that there, is, there are things right now that trustees can be doing as well, thinking about those priorities uh, amongst the, the issues they need to look at to make sure they've got that system of governance in place um, and getting it into the business plan and thinking what other kind of outsourced or, or, or support from professional organisations they need to, to, to get into compliance with this. Um, so thank you all. Thank you, Simon and Louise and Hadassah for that really interesting discussion and for, for breaking down what's a, a very complex code so neatly uh, and for the insights into into what's going to happen next year and in the years beyond more generally in the industry. Um, and, and do look out for our next lawcast, which we're going to publish on the 14th of September, where we're, Hadassah's back with us, although she'll be joined by Laura Clark, uh, our colleague there, to pick up on diversity and inclusion in a bit more detail, um, because it's discussed and made clear by Simon, that's something we're expected to see more on from the regulator. So thanks very much. Thank you.